นะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนัมสามีเอาไม่ถือ the blessed noble perfectly awakened Buddha. Tonight we've gathered together on the occasion of Vesak, Vesaka Puja, when we remember the birth, enlightenment, and parinibbana of the Buddha. So it's a happy occasion. As we have faith in the Buddha and his teachings, it's that occasion we can remember our, or recollect our good fortune for having come into contact with the Buddha's teachings for whatever reason, from birth, from friends, or just from our own spiritual search. Has brought us to the Buddhist teachings. The night of w i s a k a refers to the full moon in May, um, when the Buddha reached his own enlightenment. And that was the uh, culmination or completion of his own spiritual. Quest journey that started many lifetimes before, and it was the fruition of much perseverance and effort to achieve that which is difficult to achieve, complete that which is difficult to complete. The full liberation of a human mind from. Suffering and its causes to attain lasting, complete peace, happiness of mind, nibbana. On that night, the Buddha completed the perfections of uh, the ten paramitas, uh, completely developed. So all these different spiritual qualities, you can read about them in the texts. The Buddha had been. Practicing over many many lifetimes, he brought them to perfection, and that gave him a certain power or strength of mind. Particularly on that last day before he became enlightened, he uh, the, the text tell us he had the thought maybe this is the the day. To really practice for the end of suffering, and he made an aditana, a determination by placing his bowl on the river, the Angela River. Made his aditana if he can reach complete awakening and purify his mind from the causes of suffering. May there be a sign, and his bowl started to move upstream against the current of the river. 
you could say a miracle. For the Buddha, it was a, a sign that he's ready for his final effort towards Nibbana. So he went to the Bodhi tree not far away and made his seat, sat down and said, I won't get up until I've reached full awakening. Even if it means I have to sit here until I die, I'll do that if that's what's required. So his mind was completely committed, determined to practice, determined to overcome all obstacles. Not only do they say the Buddha had completed all his, perfecting all his ten paramis, but also he had completed the idipadas. It's another way we sometimes describe the spiritual path. The four idipadas, they call them the roads to success or the roads to achievement. And they're four qualities that we're all developing through our practice on a daily basis. Um, the first is kusala chanda, means that skillful desire to practice and to complete the practice. Second is wiriya, persistent effort or perseverance in the practice. Third is jitta, which means focus or concentration. And the final is uh, vimangsa, which means investigation, examination, testing out. These four qualities, they say the Buddha had perfected through his practice. Um, they bring with them different fruits. They were the Buddha was in a position during his lifetime after his awakening, he had the ability to extend his life if he so wished, if he saw it appropriate for up to an eon, a long time. Because he had completed these four roads to success, he developed them to their perfection. He also had um, great strength, of physical health, psychic powers, perhaps um, most usefully though, most beneficially though, is they brought him to enlightenment, the experience of, of Nibbana. And we know the Buddha didn't ended up didn't extend his life beyond his 80 years. He said he had completed what he set out to do, that was to establish the Dhamma, the teachings of the path and the Vinaya. Uh, the training, particularly the monastic training and the training in Sila. And then the Buddhist community, bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, upasakas, upasikas, the fourfold assembly have been established so he didn't extend his life. But it was the Yidipadas, completion of them, perfection of them that put him in a position where he could have done that. And they're a good reflection or framework for our own practice. 
kusala chanda, you have to have a desire to practice. If you really want to progress in meditation or any other aspect of your spiritual practice, the practice of charity, dana, practice of sila, virtue, or meditation, you need to have that desire to practice. We talk a lot about desire in Buddhism and there's the unwholesome desires rooted in craving or dunha, which the Buddha pointed out as the cause of our suffering as human beings. Craving leads to an agitation of mind, doesn't lead to contentment, doesn't lead to clarity, doesn't lead to wisdom. It just leads to more hunger, more thirst for uh, the object of craving. So either sensual objects, all the pleasures and the things we attach to in this world or the craving to get rid of, vipavadanha, the craving to get rid of the unpleasant experiences. These different kinds of craving that only agitate the mind, don't bring the mind to peace. So that's what we call negative desire, which we aim to abandon through the practice because it's the cause of our suffering. But wholesome desire or skillful desire is what prompts you, motivates you to practice. So it's often linked to our faith, our confidence in the teachings. You know, once you've heard the teachings, you've read, you've listened, then you get inspired and you want to practice. Maybe you've met somebody who's uh, benefited from the practice and you might think, I want to have that same peace or happiness that they've got. So we get motivated, we have wholesome desire arise, the desire to practice. So all of you today have a certain level of kusala chanda, otherwise you wouldn't be here. It takes effort to come out here, drive your car out, give up your time, sit, practice meditation when maybe you have some pain in your knees or you feel tired or restless. Your mind might not necessarily be very peaceful. But it's that desire to practice is what keeps you going in the beginning. So meeting with fellow practitioners, particularly those who have got results from their practice. So in the modern era, era, we're lucky, we're fortunate, there have been many enlightened masters like Lumpur Cha, who have shown us that this way of practice does work for human beings. We can train ourselves to overcome the causes of suffering, to go against the stream of the world, just like the Buddha's bowl that flowed upstream you know, symbolized the Buddha's mind that goes against the stream of the world. We can do that, but it requires some effort and determination. So when we meet these teachers, you know, we get inspired. They talk about their lives. And Lumpur Chao was a very kind and compassionate teacher. He was very open about his own struggles in the practice and how he overcame different obstacles, just as the Buddha himself must have done. The Buddha wasn't born a Buddha. When he was born, we called him a bodhisattva. 
he had to go through many struggles to reach enlightenment. And Lumpur Cha also talked about his own struggles. But he kept going because he had this desire to practice, to overcome suffering. So when you meet a teacher, this helps give you confidence that human beings can do this. It can work. I can find maybe some peace, some happiness, just like these teachers I've met or heard. But of course, desire to practice can fade. It's not always there. Sometimes we lose it. That's why it's important to keep listening to the Dhamma, uh, associating with Dhamma practitioners and particularly well-practiced ones because your desire will keep being reinforced. It will keep coming up again. You'll notice if you don't go to the monastery, to the temple, you don't listen to the Dhamma, then after a while you can lose your way because your desire to practice fades away. Maybe more unwholesome desires take over, become more focused on worldly things. Just the more mundane life in this world, earning money, paying the bills, forming relationships with people, traveling, and just having the experiences of the happiness of the world. That can take over. and We lose track of our spiritual practice if we're not careful. So we have to keep reinforcing that desire to practice and the desire to complete the practice. You know, many people start, but they don't complete. It's like at home, if you've got a room that's dirty, messy, you know, if you want that room to be clean, it's not, it's not enough just to want to clean it. You have to go through the process, really complete the action, and then you have a clean room. Or if you're ill, you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis and they say, well, take this course of medicine or treatment. If you want to be free from the illness, you have to go through the whole course, maybe complete, taking all the medicines, do the treatment. So it's that desire to complete the practice, finish it, not just start it, not just do it a little bit in a haphazard way, but actually complete even as we meditate, you know, we sit here and meditate for an hour, say. It's that desire to complete the hour, even though there may be obstacles, difficulties. Your mind has an image that, oh, it's good for me if I finish this, this meditation. I'll put all my effort into that. It's that wholesome desire is what starts us practicing and keeps us practicing. So we have to preserve it and look after it. Once you have the desire to practice, that leads on to effort, wiriya, the second of these qualities that lead to success, achievement. And there has to be effort. We would all like to get to Nibbana the easy way without trying at all. So many people have that wish. Maybe if, they, if we could be blessed by someone, by a teacher, then they can do all the work and I'll just receive the blessing without trying at all. But it won't work, will it? 
to go against the stream of your craving, your attachment, it requires effort. Just as literally if you try to f swim across a river or in the sea when there's a current and you have to swim against the current, it takes effort. It's not easy. So once you have the desire, you have to keep bringing up effort. And wiriya means persistent effort. You keep at it. It's the famous saying the Buddha gave, wiriyena dukkha majedi. Suffering, stress is only overcome through persistent effort, keeping at it. So if you're meditating tonight, we're dedicating our night to meditating all through the night. Sitting, walking, meditation, doesn't matter, but we keep at it. If you don't stop, then you'll achieve something. You maybe can meditate for a whole evening. Even if you have sleepiness, restlessness, aches and pains, but you keep going, keep putting effort, then you may be able to complete a whole night of meditation. Lumpur Cha over and over again emphasize the importance of making effort in the practice. The word in Thai is tam kwam pian, means put effort in. And he often would tell the monks, you know, tam kwam pian, he'd just say that word. He wouldn't explain much more than that. He'd say, go, on, go away and put effort in. How you put your effort in or what you put it into, he wouldn't explain much. He says, just go and make an effort, because that's all you need, isn't it? You just need a little push. Go and put effort into your sitting meditation, into your walking meditation. If you're doing some useful task, volunteering, cooking some food, whatever, you need effort. So you go away and you put effort into that useful task, that good thing. So we keep reminding ourselves to put effort in. And that's often where results come, isn't it? And when you're meditating, for sure there'll be times when your mind says, oh, I want to stop, give up. Maybe you have some pain in your leg, or your mind is very sleepy, can't concentrate, or you're just thinking too much about something you're getting fed up or you're trying to put your attention on the breath and you're getting bored because you can't stick with the breath so the mind becomes restless but over and over again you'll see if you keep going you keep putting up bringing up effort then things change don't they during one period of meditation you may have a period where your mind doesn't settle down but if you keep going Half an hour later, things can be totally different. Suddenly your mind can be clear, calm, you feel more content. Just through not giving up and keeping up with the effort. And it sounds so obvious, we all know if you want to complete something, you have to put effort in. But in the moment when we're meditating, it's so easy to lose sight of that. And we follow the craving, the craving says, oh, give up, go and do something else that's more fun, more enjoyable, or go and have a sleep, whatever. 
So you have to catch yourself in that moment where your effort is slipping. You have to know yourself, be honest with yourself and say, oh, this is the time I have to try harder. And many people say the very moment when they want to give up, if they catch that desire and don't give in to it, so they go against the stream of their desire at that moment, and they just keep going a bit longer, they often have a breakthrough. So it's when you really want to stop, you give up, then you're really removing something very negative from your mind. So what's left is the more positive, useful qualities. So learning to put effort into the meditation, put effort into bringing up mindfulness of your breath, putting effort into your posture, putting effort into staying with the breath, this is where you'll find you get results. And as you put more effort in, you feel a sense of accomplishment. You, often you feel better for it, for it. The third of these roads to success is jitta. It means focused awareness, the focus on the object of your meditation. So if you're doing breath meditation, it's keeping the breath in mind, not letting your mind stray away. So the object of your meditation must seem important to you if you're going to keep your mind on it. So if you only have a half-hearted attitude to your meditation, you will see, well, I can be with the breath or I can think of something else. Let your mind wander here, wander there. Well, of course, you're not focused, you won't get success. But if you really want to focus your mind on something, you've got to see it as important. It's got to be valuable to you. You'll notice as you meditate, many other thoughts come up which seem more important. Maybe you're sitting there, your body is meditating in the meditation posture, but your mind is, you know, running through the shopping you're going to do tomorrow. <laughs> You've got a shopping list in your mind or all those jobs you want to do tomorrow or somebody you've got to go and see. We do a lot of planning about the future or we just getting caught up in things that have already happened, go back to the past. And we're not giving importance to our meditation object. As soon as you remind yourself, what am I doing, what's important here, then your mind can go back to the breath. And if you give importance to the breath, then the mind will focus on it. And once you focus on it, you get to know it better, you actually calm down. So as you practice focusing the mind, the sense of calm, stability comes with it. You get these qualities the Buddha talked about the piti pamoja. It's like sense of joy and well-being. Even when you focus on something as simple, as neutral, ordinary as the breath, over and over again, you start to relax and you feel good. Normally, 
our mind is running around all over the place every day. We're always looking for the next thing to do, the next thing to think about, the next person to talk to. And if we're on our own, we've always got some gadget we can play with. So we've always got a phone or a computer, the next thing to Google, the next thing to look at. So normally we're used to our mind running all over the place, not being focused very, very well. We might think we're focused, but it's really just moving from object to object, from issue to issue. And that's why we feel so tired mentally, get stressed. When you practice meditation, you're learning to concentrate on just one thing. Bring your mind to the present moment and just know that one thing. And even though the breath seems very boring as an idea, you might find once you're doing it, and the mind calms down, it becomes quite enjoyable because you relax and you actually become interested in the breath. You have to give it a go, you have to try. It's the same with any other task or work or activity. You know, if you're really focused, <clears throat> you'll find you get more out of that activity. Time passes quickly. It doesn't seem so boring. But you have to find what's, what's good about it, what's valuable, what's important about that activity. If you start with the thought, it's not worth it, it's a waste of time, it isn't good for me, well, of course, your mind reacts straight away and doesn't want to concentrate, doesn't want to focus on that activity. So you have to teach yourself, remind yourself why you're doing it. And the last quality that leads to success is vimangsa, which literally means like experimenting, trying things out, you're learning. It's the use of your intelligence, but directed to the task. So in meditation, it's trying out what works. Does it work, say, with your posture? What's the best posture that you find you can sit for a while, sit longest, feel more comfortable, that you can hold for a long time? And that takes a bit of experimentation, doesn't it, to know which posture works for you. You can't just sit down and hope for the best. <laughs> or just follow other people because their body may be different than yours. You have to try for yourself and see what works. When I started meditating, it took me about a year to work out how to sit properly. That's every day, trying. I couldn't sit on the ground for more than three minutes. And that's even with a lot of cushions, padding, blankets, all kinds of help. But I saw other people could meditate and they could sit for a long time. So I had some faith in my chanda, kusala chanda, and I kept trying. But you know, effort shouldn't just be blind effort and just sort of keep banging your head against the wall, hoping for the best. You, know, you have to really experiment, look, observe, and learn from what you're doing.
It has to be that sense of testing the truth. So you meditate, you find out what posture works. How long can I sit? You, know, you time yourself, see what works. As you become more used to the posture, then your mind can settle down more. And you go to the breath, but then you can also test yourself watching the breath. You know, what, what is the breath like at the beginning? As you breathe in and there's a pause and you breathe out. What's, the, what's your breath like at this moment? Is it long? Is it short? What does the breath feel like when you're relaxed? What does the breath feel like when you're tense, stressed? What helps your mind to stay with the breath? As I was saying earlier, what's the best point in your body to stick with the breath? Is it the tip of the nostrils, the chest, or the abdomen? Get to know the rhythm of your breath, whether it's fast or slow. You can observe changes in your own breath over a period of time. Maybe as you're, you start your meditation, it's quite coarse. Then as you become more settled and calm, your breath becomes very refined. Maybe so refined you can hardly sense any movement at all. That's not because you're asleep, it's just the breath has become very, very subtle. So you constantly have that sense of learning from your experience. You're not just passing the time, saying, I'm going to sit for an hour, and you just sit for an hour, but don't really take much interest in what you're doing. You're actually learning from the meditation. You're learning how your state of mind affects the breath. You know, if your mind is very wholesome, in a good state, then your breath tends to flow better, maybe. If you're craving something, you might get very excited because you want the stimulation, your breath changes. Or if you're very angry, it changes. It's different again. These are all areas you can learn from your practice of watching the breath. can even see sometimes how you can control your own state of mind with the breath. So if you're very agitated, you're worried, you're anxious, very angry, but you turn to the breath, maybe you can calm yourself right down. If you become skilled at this, you can learn how the breath can even affect your health and well-being. And when you become more refined in your mindfulness of the breath, and you learn to stay with the breath, you know, it actually affects your body, the metabolism in the body, the body clock. And it brightens the mind as you become more calm. We say it illuminates the mind. Your mind becomes brighter just by staying with the breath. Sometimes people say, when I meditate in the evening before I go to bed, then I can't sleep after. And they think that's a problem. Maybe 
their mind has become brighter through the practice of mindfulness of breathing. And as it brightens up, well, you don't, you don't feel tired. Maybe all the aches and pains in the body disappear and the mind feels brighter, less restless, very clear. So you don't need to sleep quite so much as you usually do. A lot of our sleep is habit. We just say, oh, I've got to get my eight hours, otherwise I'm no good. <laughs> or maybe you meditate and you just can't get eight hours anymore because your mind is more bright, more alert. Maybe you only need six or seven hours or whatever, some, sometimes less. So as you practice meditation more, you also notice physical, mental changes. This is part of examining, experimenting, learning about yourself, learning about your body and your mind in the present moment. In a lot of our day, we're not with the present moment. We're not with our body, our mind in the present moment. Our mind is daydreaming, drifting away. Especially now with the technology, you don't have to be in the present moment very much if you don't want. You can just be on your phone. That's, that's the truth, isn't it? We let our mind drift away into other things. We don't concentrate on what we're doing. Whether it's working, driving, eating, that's why we suffer. We've got no self-control. Like the Buddha, they call him a master. It's not because he's a master over other people. He's a master over his own mind. He's learned to train it with mindfulness. He's learned to develop these four roads to success. He was a successful meditator because he was willing to put effort into training himself. It means you have to be willing to set aside other things focus on what's, on what's important. You have to learn how to look after your mind, treat it as something valuable, precious. But how often do we let our mind just drift into negative states, stressful states, because we're not looking after it very closely, we're not watching what's going on. So we get angry or worried, or we're following our greed and it leads us to clash with other people, or rivalries, jealousies. Like every time you give in to your anger or your jealousy or your greed, you're not following what the Buddha said. And we all call ourselves Buddhists. We should ask ourselves how much are we really following what the Buddha said. He said if you have anger arise in your mind, and you indulge that anger, meaning you keep thinking about that angry issue, the problem with anger, or you speak in anger, or you act in anger, you're not following what the Buddha said. Or if you're, have, you have greed arise in your mind, then you should let go of that greed as soon as you notice it. But how often do we don't do this? We just indulge what we call the mental defilements, the kilesas. We let them take over the mind and off they go. And that's where our mind moves away from the present moment. We get caught into our desires, our moods, our daydreams, 
fantasies and we're not really in control, we're not mastering our own mind anymore. And that's why we end up stressed, suffering. Of course, as you practice, it's tiring to work with your mind. It's much easier to look out there at the world, go looking for the things to fill our, our mind up with, to pay attention to. That's why nowadays people have so much stress, because they're always just letting their mind go out to the world. Or have all kinds of expectations, desires, attachments, and so they worry. People get very impatient, very restless. They're always comparing and competing with each other. Really, the Buddha's given us a pathway, a way for us to be more peaceful as human beings. And we can often achieve a lot of peace and clarity very quickly, especially if we put effort into meditation practice. It's something we have to think about. How can we incorporate this into our daily life? And maybe learning to meditate at least once a day, at least minimum 10, 15 minutes a day. Learn to sit and work with your own mind. Don't just give in to every desire. You know, every desire, you want to go and do something else, to eat, to talk, even things that we think are reasonable, like, oh, I've got to do work and so on. You know, sometimes we have to learn how to work with our own mind. Set aside all the external activities. Sit still for a while. Walk for a while. Do some walking meditation. That's something that people often forget as well. We can meditate in the walking posture. Like tonight, you can walk back and forth outside if you're feeling sleepy and the cold air wakes you up and you can focus on your feet and maybe recite the word Bhutto as you walk back and forth. Set yourself a task. Say, I'm going to walk for 20 minutes, 30 minutes or one hour and try and complete that task. If you practice walking meditation regularly, then you'll find when you're walking here and there in your life, you're walking from one room to another or from your car to a building, going here, going there, it can become a time when you're meditating. You notice how often your mind is not with your body as you're walking along. You're already planning what you're going to do next, what you're going to, where you're going to go, what you're going to say. It's not in the present moment. So the more you practice mindfulness through your day, the more you have a chance to look after the mind. And you're developing this awareness, what Lumpur Cha said, keeping your mind in the middle, in the center. And you'll notice we are always drifting off either towards ill will, aversion, in one way or another, either towards ourself or towards a person or a situation, that's arisen. Or we're moving towards sense desires, wanting something through our senses, wanting to see something, hear something, taste something, touch something. We don't know this place in the center which is neither for nor against. It's where the mind is just mindful, 
knowing experience and knowing whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, but not reacting with, with craving. Neither grasping at, moving towards, nor pushing away. But this is where you develop the path that the Buddha taught. Developing mindfulness in the middle, just knowing experience but not grasping at it, reacting to it. So you practice this as you meditate right now, you're sitting meditation here. Maybe you have some pleasant feelings arise, you feel relaxed, calm, it's good, but just note it. Don't grasp hold of it or cling on to that pleasant feeling because of course it might change after a while and then you'll feel disappointed. We might enjoy some aspect of the programs that you like, the meditation or you like the chanting or you like the talk, but then that will change. Or it may be displeasure that arises. You're sitting, after a while you get aches and pains so you feel uncomfortable and want to stop. Or you're feeling bored, not stimulated enough because there's not enough for you to do. Or you dislike some, some aspect of the program, bored with the talk, <laughs> bored with the chanting. And the aim of the meditator is just to watch and to know that, to know your mind whether it's experiencing pleasure or displeasure, but just to know it rather than to grasp hold of it and become caught up in it. This is what we call the place in the middle, neither for nor against, just knowing the experience and maintaining that ability to know in the present moment. And not just when you're meditating, that's where you practice it in the most sort of intense way, the most refined way, but when you get up, so you go down to the kitchen, you see some other people, you watch how the mind wants to talk, socialize, because it can get some pleasure from that. Or maybe you want some food or drink, you go and you try and get that. Or maybe you're just feeling very miserable, or just want to go leave or get, go for a rest. Watch that. This is how we develop our mental skills through the practice, developing the ability just to know the way things are. Not judging ourselves or judging other people, not reacting with like or dislike, just knowing, oh, it's like this. Ajahn Chah used to say, there's no such thing as a bad meditation if you're developing this way of practice. Because everything becomes Dhamma, everything becomes the truth. So if you, even if something happens that makes you angry, it's still the truth if you can establish mindfulness. It's just, oh, there was that unpleasant sense contact, brought up a sense of displeasure, irritation, anger but you don't grasp it, make it a self, make it you, you don't take ownership of it, you just note it, oh, it's like that, it's unpleasant. Or something pleasant happens. You have some, somebody says something nice to you, you get a gift, or you eat some nice food, something happens that's pleasant, you just note that, oh, it's pleasant, pleasant. but don't grasp at the pleasure. Both of them are equally dangerous to the mind because they lead, lead us to indulge, to lose our awareness, lose our focus 
and just get caught up into the, the story of the mind because usually we start thinking all kinds of thoughts about mm. what is pleasant or what is unpleasant. Ajahn Chah is like two sides of the same snake, two ends of the same snake. You pick up a snake, if, if you had to pick up a snake, you say a snake came into your house and you had to get rid of it, everyone would pick up the snake from the tail, stay away from the head because they don't want to get bitten. You pick up the tail, eventually the head will come round and bite you anyway. And Jin Chai said, pleasure, pleasant experiences and uh, displeasure, unpleasant experiences are like that. They're two, two parts of the same thing. We always go for the pleasure, it's more attractive, but it'll end up biting you eventually because it leads to attachment, leads to clinging. You cling on to the pleasure, when it changes, you're disappointed. You're sad, you want to get it back again. When we get something unpleasant, we always want to push it away. Either way, we're suffering. Either way, the mind is caught. So the way of practice is the way of keeping your mind in the middle, neither for nor against. Just knowing with mindfulness, with wisdom, knowing the way things are, and maintaining that. That's where our efforts go into maintaining the mindfulness. You can imagine the Buddha on the night of his enlightenment, you know, how many painful feelings he must have experienced sitting in one posture under the Bodhi tree for hours and hours, but all the time maintaining his mindfulness, contemplating aches and pains as just painful feelings arising, passing away, but not grasping at them. As we know from the story, there were many different attachments came up for the Buddha. He still had a wife, son to think about. There must have been a clinging for them. There must have been attachment for all the wealth, the power, the comfort he'd left behind. He had a, a very privileged, happy upbringing that he left behind just to become a monk in the forest. There must have been some desire for that, to go back for that. But he was willing to give it all up to practice, to really train his heart. The more we're willing to practice and give up, the more we'll gain from the practice. But we need to go against the stream of our desires. That's where we, we're practicing tonight, just practicing improving our efforts. Sitting, walking, maintaining mindfulness, focusing on the Dhamma rather than on the world. So maybe I've said enough for the moment. Um, I'll finish the talk there. And we can dedicate, dedicate our practice tonight to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha.